in this series, we've been trying to distinguish good news from religion. And we all know what religion is. Religion is a system where God gives you a list and you have to fulfill the list. And if you don't fulfill the list, then God's mad at you somehow. So if we do the list, then God is happy with us. And if we don't do the list, then God isn't happy with us. It's a way, religion is a way of performing to find our way to God. And almost everybody operates in the way of religion, all of us. Uh, Maybe you're a Christian and you go back to the Ten Commandments, but maybe you're an atheist and you're not sure about the things that we talk about in church. But I would affirm or, or assert that everybody has a religious code. You may have gotten your religious code from your parents. Uh, even gangs have, relig- have codes. They have codes of right and wrong. Uh, everybody has a code. And Everybody defaults, every human heart defaults to the way of religion. Uh, The reason many of you maybe came to church today is down deep, you thought you ought to, that God would be happier with you if you came. The reason that you did some of the things that you did this week was there was just something inside of you that just said, uh, I ought to do this, I have to do this, that the universe will be sort of more pleased with me in some way if I do. And so there are these oughts, and we have this sense that there is a moral code, and there's a list that God keeps, and he's watching that list, and he's happier with us if we keep it. So good news is uh, something that is completely different than that. So religion evokes a response, uh, what a relief, I managed to avoid God's disdain. But good news evokes a different response. It evokes the response, oh my gosh, I never knew. I hadn't heard that. I'm so glad to hear that. It's a little like this, extra, extra, read all about it. Did you know? And then you find out and you go, oh my gosh, I am so glad to know about that good news. And nobody has to tell you to share that good news with somebody else. So we're in a series of sharing good news, and we're really trying to come back to good news. If we've got any news, we, above all, need to know that news, and we need to keep rediscovering that news and being renewed in that news and being saved from the old way of religion. And in some ways, that sort of speaks my very heart about this church. We have believed that this is part, our church is part of a new thing that God is doing. And we don't want to be sort of wrapped in old ways of doing church, um, proliferating programs and things that you have to do and ought to do. But we want to be freed somehow with good news uh, to share with people that we know, to receive first ourselves and then to share with people we know. So what we're doing in this series is that we're learning Christianity was like a news headline, a newspaper headline. Picture it right there across the old newsprint, exploding into the old world of religion. Again, it's extra, extra, read all about it. Did you hear something new we've discovered about God and his ways? So today, we're going to learn good news about God's love. And will you just bear with me as we pray again about that?
Father, there is perhaps uh, little uh, that we know um, more about and less about at the same time than love. We hear about love, uh, but we are hungry for love. And so we pray that in your mercy the penny would drop this morning and that there would be something about what you are and what you offer that we would receive anew today. That we would be uh, a distinct community, uh, a group that has indeed heard good news and has good news to share with someone we know. And so we long for good news. Uh, we pray you would work beyond my own sort of meager abilities, uh, that you would beyond, work beyond our um, ability to hear, that you would do something through the power of your spirit and under the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. So I do think that we feel that we know about love. We sing about love. All you need is love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. We know about love. Young people are consumed with love. I think older people uh, sometimes find love and our hunger for love is a little muted. And I think some of the things uh, that drive us are really a disguise for our hunger for love. So we're driven to work and we're driven to look good and we're driven to perform and we're driven to achieve. And could it be that some of these things are really just hiding uh, this deep yearning for love? And we have strategies to get love, and some of them are poor strategies. So in today's reading, Paul is writing to Jewish converts to Christianity in Rome. And I'll just invite you to open in your worship guide and turn back to it, and maybe have it open where you can see it. So the Jews knew that God's love was conditional. Conditional on managing to keep the law. So the Jews were people who were always walking on eggshells, hoping that they didn't displease God. So they added to the law. And sometimes we uh, make more and more things that we feel we ought to do. And maybe we think that we'll manage to find our way into a place that's pleasing to God. Some of us do walk on eggshells with God. So we know uh, intuitively that we have to earn God's love or we have to earn love. And so with other people, we try to hide what we're really like. If we have to earn love, then much of what people would see of us, if we really showed ourselves fully, would cause people to reject us because love has to be earned. And I think we default into believing love has to be earned with God. And so we know ourselves, we know what we think and do in private, and so we justifiably believe that God maybe does have a reason to reject us. So in one sense, we fear being fully known because we fear we won't be fully loved. So last week was like the groundwork for this week. We're in Romans 8, and it's, a thick, it's thick theology. And so you'll have to bear with me just a bit. Uh, but we know that it's like the crown jewels. We find uh, things that are rich and beautiful there. So again, in Romans 8 last week, we heard this clear the deck statement that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And so what we said was we're haunted by the in, these internal voices. I'll never be enough. I'll never have the life that somebody else has. I'll always be fat. I'll always be ugly. I'll always be stupid. And so we rehearse these voices in our minds. And so uh, Paul comes at us and he says, whoa, 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 I'm telling you uh, some good news, some good news that's new for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation. And in some ways, he comes back to that. In today's reading, Paul starts in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? So he's uh, getting at this. He has actually just given us, if you were to read earlier, a laundry list of God's blessings for those who are in Christ, uh, culminating in verse 29, where he says, God chose you, he justified you, and one day you will enter his glory. So God did all that. Paul continues in today's text, well then, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He has this series of six questions, and there's an, assert, an, an assertion embedded in each of the questions. And the assertion this time, well, God is for us. Well, how would we know? Well, some of you need to hear this today. You just need to hear, God is for you. God is for you. Uh, life has a way of uh, really beating us down. And will you just hear this in this very first verse? God is for you with whatever you're going through today. So verse 32 says, well, how, how do we know? He says, uh, Paul, Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So you'll find this out about the Apostle Paul. We think we know what love is. We think God must be kind of a grandfatherly figure. And God loves because God is love and God is love. And we know God is love. God is a grandfatherly figure and he can overlook everything else and he can just be love. Well, Paul says, no, not so fast. There's actually a different basis for love. And so he takes us to the cross. He says, we know God is love because he did not spare his own son. So verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Well, he's talking about us now. And we're back to the courtroom scene, like last week. So it sure seems like God is out to get us, right? He has a list, and we've got to perform, otherwise he's mad at us. So now we're standing before God the judge. We're in the courtroom. And Paul says, no, it's God who justifies. In other words, God himself is in the dock. So this is still background. Well, who then is the one who condemns you? And so it's like the needle on the LP uh, record player is stuck. And there's that message again. Uh, I'll never amount to anything. God is out to get me. He's watching me. He's catch, trying to catch me in a failure. So Paul says, who is the one who condemns? And then he says he provides his own answer. And if you're looking at verse 34 with me, what are those two little words that he gives an answer? He says, no one. Especially not God, because God... Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
So again, this is, this is background, but extra, extra, read all about it. There is now no condemnation. Paul wants to emphasize it. He wants to repeat it. And so he comes back to it here at the end of Romans 8. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. And so we go scot-free. That's his point so far. But then there's more. Verse 35. And this is where it gets deeper. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So I think he's getting underneath our fear of condemnation and he's getting to our fear of rejection. What's the core terror of every human being? The core terror is rejection. So Paul's assertion embedded in the question is nothing will separate us from Christ's love. Well, again, is that because God is grandfatherly? Is that because God is just love and all, all the world needs now is love and that is we can find it in God because God is love? Is there any basis for it? Well, on the one hand, we know. Uh, we know if there's anything we know about Jesus. It's Jesus loves the little children. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. But he's talking about separation here. And we know uh, there is such a thing as being separated from love. That's how love works. Loved ones die. Spouses divorce. People fall in and out of love. Friends are separated across the miles. So love is really hard to pin down. And our consciences tell us also that there are justifiable reasons God might withdraw his love from us. God knows us. He's omniscient. That means God knows everything we think and what we think and do in private. And we're trying to outrun the holy God by doing good, but we feel him nipping at our heels. And so there's this question of, well, wait a minute. Is there really the possibility of separation from God? And so we worry about love lost. What was the verdict of the Garden of Eden? It was separation. Adam and Eve sinned, so they were banished from God's presence in the garden. Adam and Eve were exposed in their rebellion, their unacceptability and their rejectability. They were exposed as being rebellious and inadequate. And they were separated, it says in Genesis, from God's presence and God's favor. And we have circumstances in our life that seem like contraindications of God's love. So Paul has some of those in mind. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he says, look at this. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. He's getting into our business. See, these things are tough and Christians go through hard things. Paul himself was threatened, misunderstood, shipwrecked, imprisoned, and twice beaten within one lash of when a man usually dies. But I think Paul is trying to get at some ironies here. When parents want to assure their children of their love, what do they do? Do they give them material gifts and try to make life easier for them? So Paul goes on. He says in verse 36, As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So again, you've got to pick up on the tension here. 
We're talking about but not being separated from the love of God. And Paul is saying, and yet our experience of life, he's actually quoting from Psalm 44, where the psalmist was pleading his case about his suffering and persecution. He was God, one of God's chosen people, and yet God wasn't really showing up. And so Paul is saying, uh, there's an irony here. See, see, actually it's not true that parents assure their children of their love by making their lives easier and giving them material gifts. If you try to assure your, your children of, of your love by making their lives easier and giving them material gifts, they won't, at the end of the day, believe you love them. They will believe you're trying to kind of pacify them with a cheap substitute. Parents assure their children of their love by giving them themselves. And so you may think the trial you're going through right now is a confirmation God doesn't exist or he's withdrawn his love from you. That's why God must be displeased with you, right? And Paul is saying, no, I'm telling you, these difficulties don't separate you from the love of God, even though they appear to. See, the irony is you may be going through something right now, and God may be using this difficulty to give you himself. The trial is driving you to prayer. Maybe the Spirit has led you to fast and pray. And what you're discovering is God hasn't withdrawn his love from you. He's actually giving his love and presence to you. He's giving you himself. You're being drawn to him. And what we're left to do is obey, because at the end of the day, obedience is the way by which we experience God's presence and love. So Romans 5.5 5 captures the paradox for suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And what's the caboose on that train? And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love for us into our hearts through his Holy Spirit. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul starts with this thing of, I know your life seems to contradict it. But who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall something hard that you're experiencing be that? Verse 37, he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and now Paul shifts from the question format to a statement. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what this is, is really the emotive climax of Romans 5 to 8. Paul is convinced that there is nothing that can separate him from the love of God. He addresses every possible realm, neither death nor life. So this is nothing in the physical realm. Nothing in the physical realm can separate you from God's love. Well, it sure seems like death is the great separator, right? The pain of death is separation. Paul says, no. In Christ, death is not what it seems. Death won't separate you from Christ's love. Well, what about angels or demons? Neither angels or demons. Spiritual forces in this dark world are strong. Paul says, yes, but God's love is stronger. I'm telling you, 
Nothing in the spiritual realm can separate you from God's love. Well, let's go on. Neither the present nor the future. This is the realm of time. Well, things change, right? Over time. We don't know the future. Maybe God will change. Paul says, no. Neither the present nor the future will separate you from God's love. Nor powers, Paul says. And this is like a catch-all. Neither height nor depth, which is probably astronomical. Ancient people tried to make sense of the stars and of astronomy. Maybe something out there can separate us from God's love. People look into the sky. And Paul is trying to cover all his bases. And he says, no, not even that, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Paul is trying to give these religious Christians um, this deep assurance I know you think you've got to measure up, you've got to keep up, you've got to do more, you've got to strive for more, but I'm trying to tell you there is good news, extra, extra, read all about it. There is good news for you, and I'm trying to tell you that good news, and the good news is this, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is the core terror of a child at night in the dark? It's separation. It's being all alone. And so a child cries out, uh, Mommy, Daddy, are you there? And they're hoping to hear back, uh, Yes, I'm here. You're not all alone in the dark. And what is our core terror? Well, we may not be in touch with our core terror. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were exposed. They were exposed in their nakedness and they were ashamed. They were exposed in everything that was wrong about them. And so they were banished. And God has come to do something to reconcile sinful humanity back to himself. So it's not the old way of religion that is wrong. Paul says the old way of religion, the law, needs to be satisfied. Sin is offensive. Sin does deserve separating us from God. But Paul's answer is that Jesus Christ satisfied the just demands of the law on the cross so that you and I could be reconciled to God forever. And therefore, Paul says, uh, there is a basis now. There is a basis. It's not pie in the sky. It's not just a hope or a wish. God is love, and the reason is he gave. He did not spare his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul concludes, he says, and you just have to picture him saying this, so therefore now there is nothing, I'm telling you nothing, I'm telling you nothing that you might have done, that you will do, there is nothing that can separate you. Nothing in the physical realm, nothing in the spiritual realm, nothing in the realm of time or the realm of astronomy or anything else you can conceive of that will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Somebody was talking to me this week and sharing uh, an image, a painting of Peter. And some of you know that Peter denied Jesus three times. And it's a picture of, P of Jesus looking at Peter 
And Peter is exposed in his cowardice. Can you picture that? He's exposed in his cowardice. But what do we know? We know that also in those eyes of Jesus are the eyes of love and the eyes of reconciliation. And later, Jesus will restore Peter to become a great saint and servant in his kingdom mission. And it's an example of how Jesus is saying, I came for you. I, you're, you're afraid uh, that if I know you, I'll reject you. But in fact, what happened on the cross was, I do know you, and I took everything about you uh, into my own body and saved you and reconciled you to the Father. So some of you uh, just need to hear this very simply today. Uh, God loves you. God loves you. Just try to take that in. God loves you. You may have had some contraindications lately. You may have thought things didn't work out really the way you hoped they would. But here's the thing that is sure. If you have put your faith in Christ Jesus, then you can be sure God loves you. And so I'd like to invite you to do something. And this is going to be a little um, uncomfortable for some of you, uh, but I'm going to do it. And nobody's going to be watching, so you can decide whether you want to do it. But I'd like to invite you just to raise your arms to the sky right now and drink in God's love. And you can close your eyes. And if you've not yet received Jesus by faith, let me invite you to do that now. Paul isn't saying nothing can separate every human being from Christ's love. He's saying nothing can separate those who are in Christ. And so the basis for his never-ending love is the atoning sacrifice of Christ. So I hope you'll receive Jesus by faith. And if you have, let me invite you just to extend your arms. Now just extend your arms up. Just as high to the sky as you can. And receive God's love today. Maybe your eyes are closed. Friends, be assured that in Christ, God loves you. He loves you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Holy Spirit, help us to receive the warmth of his love, your love, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So to conclude, uh, Romans 8 began with no condemnation and ends with no separation because of the divine invitation to receive and have a relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, I confess that I am stuck in old religion. The default of my heart is religion. And I imagine that the default of every heart in this room is to try to earn your love. And so we'll need your help with this. We'll need your help, Holy Spirit, 
to free us to receive the good news of the Savior's love. And so, Spirit of Christ, uh, would you remake us and renew us today in this news? Help us to drink deeply. For Christ's sake, amen.